0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 19 of the Medical Device Success podcast and this happens to be a video cast too. So the question, how do life science companies go forward and succeed in a world of virtual congresses and trade shows? Well, that's the subject matter of a three-part series that we've put together on virtual trade shows and alternatives. And I'm really pleased to be teamed up with Lisa Bixel and the Bixel Medical Marketing Group for this effort. It's a lot of work, and I think we have some valuable information to share. Medical associations and medical device companies, life science companies, are working in a very challenging environment, as most of the Congresses and trade shows have been canceled through the end of this year and perhaps into early next year. So how do we go forward? Well, in this three-part series, this first part is a medical guide for medical marketers. The second part of the series is where we talk to leaders of the healthcare exhibiting and events ecosystem to get their perspective on what is going on and their advice as to what we should look for going forward into the future. And in the third episode, of the series we talk to doctors to find out where they stand and what this means to them and how they intend on participating. This is going to be valuable information and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Let me be clear this first episode is long and you may want to break it up into 20 minute segments or 30 minute segments as you listen to it and if you view it but it's full of very important information. So let's get started. And welcome everybody to this uh, first of its kind for me, which is a podcast and a video cast. So it'll be split into a podcast. Hopefully people will be able to understand most of what we're talking about by listening but the video cast is going to have some slides which um, provide some really important context and detail and highly recommend that you go to that and so today's uh video cast podcast is done in conjunction with the bixel mark medical marketing group a terrific uh, crew of people out in the colorado area that serve med tech companies uh life science companies and it's called virtual trade shows and alternatives: a guide for medical marketers. And so, this is important. Whether you're a marketing person or a salesperson, you really need to under, understand how virtual trade shows work, and our first experiences with them, and so on. And so, today, in addition to myself, the host Ted Newell, we've got Lisa Bixel, who's the CEO of uh, Bixel Medical Marketing Group, and we have Lauren Desman, who's the events leader at Bixel Medical Marketing Group. So we've got two very experienced people helping and they've really helped put together a terrific program for us to share today. Lisa, Lauren, welcome.
1: (laughs) Thanks for inviting us. It's it's nice to be back because I know earlier in the spring we had discussions about, you know, thinking ahead what would be the future. Um. What might the year play out to be? You know. And now we're seeing some of it in our rearview mirror, and it's interesting. Some of the evolution. So it'd be nice to share that today.
0: It's you're very nice. It's interesting and disturbing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. All yeah. right. There you go. <laughs> yeah,
0: the evolution. Just because when you and I talked, and let's let's move uh, sort of to the objectives. You know, w- when you and I talked back then, we were talking about looking at the virus as a short term event that's something that might affect us for two or three months and that we probably had the back half of the year where we could still participate in trade shows. And we know how important they are from the standpoint of getting actionable leads and actual sales on the trade show floor. And then a a couple more months goes by and the advice we gave is no longer applicable. So we're here to give new advice, right?
1: Well, that's exactly right. It it feels like it is and will be continuing to be a a rolling horizon where, you know, you can only be as accurate as maybe 60 days, 90 days out because things are going to be so radically different perhaps, or, you know, what you think might be reverting back to normal, you know, might not play out exactly as you forecasted. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning whether or not we get too far out in our predictions because it gets really fuzzy. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I know some meetings have tried to indicate that they would be in person in the late winter and or, and or spring, but as COVID-19 continues to roll around in this country, who knows? But, but right now, we are the the situation is that everybody has pretty much gone virtual. There's no in-person meetings. At least the United States, Europe, uh, Pacific Rim, no in-person meetings through the uh, end of the year.
1: You know, um, for some of our clients, that's not necessarily the case. Lauren, you want to talk about that? Like right.
2: I actually confirmed for an association in Florida that they, this last week, I confirmed with them that they do, in fact, intend to have a live meeting. They are moving forward. Um, they are dedicated to this. And they are just taking precautions uh, with PPE and social distancing, but they fully intend to to have a live meeting in December and they're already locking in on hotel and uh, venue space as well.
1: Wow. That that to me probably isn't so surprising, providing that most everybody drives, right? You're not really getting on a plane, especially if it's a regional program. And we'll talk a little bit more about that being probably the future um, of uh, medical events, but uh, that, that probably isn't so odd. And another one that we know that's gonna happen uh, in December as well in New York City always happens uh, faithfully in uh, just right in Times Square right before Christmas um, they're saying too that they're going to be in person but likewise I feel as if the faculty as long as the local draw and everybody's driving in from you know the northeast which is pretty convenient that probably will go off without any challenges with social distancing and masks and everything so
0: and both of these examples that you're giving are geographically specific meetings? Yeah. New okay. York
1: state this, Florida state that. Got mm-hmm. it. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that is interesting note to know when you're thinking strategically, you know, looking out in the future. Okay. So maybe we can circle back to that more as we're getting into what the strategies and tactics should be. Okay. Um, okay. So let's go on. And so that's the situation right now. And let's go on and talk about what a virtual trade show looks like. Um, Because we've got this big question as these virtual trade shows come up. How well are they implemented or executed? Can you get attention? And so on. So so the big question here is to exhibit or not to exhibit. And eventually, what are some alternatives? So what does a virtual trade show look like these days? And you guys had some experience with a big meeting in Europe but then you let's talk through what we see on this particular slide.
2: Absolutely. So, and I'm happy to provide some more insight as to what a virtual trade show looks like today. Um, you know, more and more of us are getting exposure to virtual trade shows and I recommend any sales and marketing professional look outside of your trade show calendar and see what other virtual trade shows you can attend just to experience what they look like and, and understand what that feels like so that when it comes to a show where you might be exhibiting in the future, you know what to expect. Uh, nowadays, when we look at virtual trade shows, how they work, there are really four key elements and a virtual trade show from an exhibit perspective will include at least one of these four elements. The first one is advertising opportunities. You can kind of see that down here on the lower left picture, but that includes e-blasts, mailings, website banners, and also ad campaigns and these were typical when you considered your in-person events and now you can even still as a virtual event do virtual column wraps and virtual escalator clings, and you'll see that in a later slide the okay. second key, the second key element is educational opportunities these are virtual industry sessions product images and videos and even downloadable resources these are an attempt to replicate your industry showcases or your product theaters That you would have typically in a live event. Mm. The third element which we're seeing start to come in more and more now is a virtual exhibit hall. And you can see that also pictured here, you can see that they have little avatars and you can actually physically manipulate a character virtually to walk up to a booth. Lastly, you're going to see that there are going to be networking opportunities. So, these include, as pictured here, a live chat room or virtual meeting room. So, you can still achieve that one-on-one interaction with your target audience. And these are kind of like with a live show, it would be your in-booth conference room or the ancillary meeting rooms that you would have kind of on the edges of the exhibit hall.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: One of the things I think is clear as you
1: and I and Lauren were just looking at earlier is that uh, it's open for interpretation though, isn't it? You know, a virtual trade show like the smaller conference that you're going to step through, um, you know, has a vastly different way that they're handling what is your, you know, your quote unquote exhibit space, right? There are some that are over the top, it's all 3D, as if you have just been, you know, um, uh, augmented reality walking onto someone's floor space. But, you know, some are handling it much more basically than that, as, as I know you're going to show us with this Hopin example.
0: Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing to, to talk about when we talked especially about a larger conference that's got um, a more sophisticated uh, opportunities for interaction in a, in a virtual trade show world, um, like some of the pictures in this slide, you know, this one over here, for example, which could be an education area or interaction area mm-hmm. with with various parties, is um, I think you explained to me that, for example, the ECR, which is the big radiology meeting in Europe, that um, wanted one technical advantage of the virtual uh, exhibit was that if somebody entered an exhibit for one of the companies that had an exhibit and went up to a station of a product or a service they were interested in. And they had, and then in doing that, they identify themselves. So maybe it's um, John Kingala from Nigeria, then they can immediately bring the Nigerian rep to that station from where he or she lives in Nigeria. And they can actually have the local person talk, to this visitor at the virtual booth, where in a normal in-person meeting, you might not be able to afford to have people from every country in the world come to your booth and participate.
1: Right, isn't that normal? Right. Uh, Right. Typically, for most of our clients and in our own experience working, you know, at different companies, we have a binder. We have a binder, and we have uh, a scanner. And more often than not, we're taking leads, you know, attaching business cards to sheets and filling out forms and things for follow up afterwards for you know half the people who aren't there presently. So that absolutely can be an advantage. But there's a flip side to that. You know, that means that all those people have to be Somewhere at their computer, on alert, right? And so, as uh, as genie worked from Siemens says, I love this. Chasing the sun, you know, we're chasing the sun, and whoever's whatever time zone around the world, um, you've got a real challenge in um trying to make sure that that works for their schedule so if we have you know rsna the u.s equivalent of ecr in december november december and its central time zone i mean that doesn't quite work well for the representative in nigeria uh, to be on alert um, but but yeah i mean it can work as long as everybody's committed to that kind of coverage
0: that's true yeah you're right if you had a, a huge time difference it might be uh, two in the morning for someplace yeah someplace some yeah. else in the world. Okay, so let's move on. And um, so this this slide's great because it sort of gives you a, a feeling for what a, a larger one might look like. And we're, we'll circle back to um, various sizes of these shows. But let's look at a small conference example. And I'm, and this is a, a platform called HopIn, which sort of goes with the platform name. You can hop into a conference. And I saw it used in a uh, small conference uh, this was a conference where we had about 120 uh, genetic specialists attend this conference virtually which is pretty good attendance and it was originally supposed to be held in boston in july they put it off into august so they could do it virtually so this is one i personally experienced and my uh, colleague and i um, the cost was eight thousand five hundred dollars to be a middle level a sponsor of the meeting, and it just turned out because this was all sort of last-minute organization for them. It was good because we ended up being one of three sponsors, so we really showed up. We stood out. Nice, which is an advantage that other companies might benefit from. So you should ask how many other people have paid in to sponsor a, vir- a small virtual meeting. Yeah, uh, because it could be good. So if we would have done an in-person exhibit. At the same meeting, um, it was still cost us around 8000 dollars for the for the booth space, for my colleague to fly in from France, for me to drive up with equipment to Boston, which is where it was going to be held, lodging, food, and so on and so forth. It would have cost us probably around $8,000 to participate. What did we get virtually? We got a 10-minute presentation to all attendees, and they were all there, and. You would not get that in a regular in-person
1: uh, exhibit. That was a question I had of you when looking at this is that are many of these elements, like your logo, I would imagine, you know, you get yeah. logo recognition, but which ones of these are unique to the virtual where they're obviously working very hard to earn your business as a, as a sponsor?
0: Okay, so let's say one downside is the virtual exhibit, they, they were, you were able to link two downloads to it. So if you had an and you had an in-person exhibit, you could have 10 or 15 pieces of literature or scientific studies you'd be handing out. You might have a video playing in the background or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. But here in the virtual exhibit, you had you know two downloads and then links to the company's website. You'll see all this in a minute. So that, that would be sort of a downer, so to speak. and of course, the company logo. Um, you know, if you were a sponsor of a meeting, you would have that somewhere in their program and so on and so forth. But what really was interesting was the 10 minute presentation. There was a a demo area where they had an introductory video of the company. And since again, there were only two companies, ours included, that put videos up, people had only two things to look at. Then we had a guaranteed introduction by the organizers to five attendees And that was from a list of attendees that we took out of the main list. We gave them about 10 or 15 attendees that we prioritized. And they indeed sent us emails, introductory emails to these attendees that we can follow up on. Um, And finally, the speed networking, and I'll explain this a little bit more in a minute, but they had a really well organized speed networking where during uh, the so called coffee break, um, people actually networked and you could talk to one person for five minutes and another person for five minutes and so on and so forth and exchange um, business cards coming out of this. We actually did really well in this meeting. So let me just go through these really quickly to get. Yeah, and I was just
1: going to say, you know, at first glance, your good deal question, you know, 8,500 for 120 people virtually, I wouldn't have said normally that that was a great deal. But when you look at how hard they were working for your business and how much they valued what your objectives were as well, to me, to all of us, right, going to a medical convention, it's all about access. We want to access the, you know, HCPs. Um, and if we can't do that, it's, it's pointless to be there if we're not having engagement directly with the physicians or the nurses or the techs or whomever, the administrators. And so your last two bullets on this slide more than make up for that $8,500 price tag sounds like a heck of a deal.
0: Yeah. And I think another thing we have to consider is the nature of what we're selling. And so our equipment for this particular audience is going to be anywhere from $41,000 to $60,000. So if we just sell two or three pieces in the next, you know, six to eight months, we've more than covered the cost of this. And I do believe we'll do that. And I think the payoff further in the future is even higher. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another consideration. If we're selling tongue depressors, it would be a bad place to be.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Okay.
0: So this is a slide of of, um, the reception era. Area that you can see where the big arrow is over here. so this is the reception. If you look at the navigation column on the left. This is the reception Area. If you look down to the bottom right, you'll see another big arrow pointing down. That's our exhibit. If they if they click on that, they go to our so called exhibit Then you'll see another arrow here. And if you scrolled this uh, window up, you would see the schedule come up below of, of the presentations. And This is the reception. This is what somebody sees when they first enter the, um, enter the conference on this hop-in platform. Then if we click onto the exhibit area, this is the upper half of what somebody sees in the exhibit. There's a description of the company, company logo. There's a couple uh, links where they can request further information. They can go to the company website or company LinkedIn page. And then they can also download some resources and this is where i thought it was a little bit cheap is that we only had two things that we could download um but still uh, but that's our so-called booth it doesn't look like the virtual booths that we just saw the right. previous slide which almost looked like a real booth this is more like a like a landing page and if we go to the bottom half of this um rolled up or if we sort of scroll down then we see the team members People that were here participating in the conference. Um, so that's what you—that's what you go if you link to our so-called booth or landing page would be a better way to describe it for listeners. Now, if we come back to the reception area, then you'll see this arrow that, arrow that goes that says demo area. And if you go to that part of the um, the navigation, then you come to these two um, video links. And one of them is ours, and it's a short video introduction, about three or four minutes long, to uh, MetroVision as a company. And then uh, there's another company here as well. And so that's pretty effective. And um, I thought I like that particular feature. And jump in if you have a comment. I'm just going to try not to k- kill a lot of time on this. Then the other part of this platform is if you look in the upper right on this, we're back in the reception area again, and you can see the chat column, you can see a polls, and you can see a people, and you can see in a little account area up there. And if we blow that up in this next slide, um, you can see that in this example, and this is my colleague Jacques Charlier from MetroVision. I could send him an invitation to a video call. And we would meet right here in in the main area And they, a video opens up and we can actually meet and talk Um, just like speed networking or at the bottom of, of his profile, there's a place where I could send him a message. And so that's sort of a a neat way uh, communication means that they have built in. And then finally, if we go back to the reception uh, window and we go to the left-hand navigation column, there's a stage uh, button that says stage. And there's a little red thing that says live. And that means if I, if I click on that uh, stage thing, I would go, or that stage button, excuse me, stage thing. <laughs>
2: um,
0: <laughs> I, I would go, I would go um, into the actual stage and see the presentation, which you'll see right here. And so I clicked on that button, and here is a presentation by the uh, chairman of the, uh, of the meeting, uh, Dr. Scaria. And I can actually blow this window up so it takes up my whole screen so the details that you see here would be much more clear. Okay. Um, so that's sort of how this navigates around. And then if I go back to this reception screen, when, it, when it's time for the coffee break, uh, the networking break where you can do the speed networking, you you refresh the screen and suddenly in between the stage button and the demo area button you'll see a networking button appear and it only appears when there's networking and you could call that speed dating you know we call that that in the united states for international listeners (laughs) i'm not sure what you would call it but speed networking and what and you click there you say you're ready to go you click a certain command button And before you know it, here's a picture of of me talking to um, the leader of the conference in our speed dating session, our speed networking session. And what you can't, um, you might be able to see, it might be under my controls here, but there's a thing that says connect and extend.
1: Yes,
2: we see
0: Yeah, you can actually extend the conversation if you're really deep into something. And I had to do that a couple times because of what we were talking about with people. And then if you click connect, you exchange business cards. And now you have their email link. Uh,
1: nice. Exchange. Yeah. Right. You so, know, okay. go ahead. I was just going to say, um, it, it, what's the normal attendance if this were to be an in-person program? Is it usually around that same 120, 150 mark? Yes,
0: it would have been nearly the same. And that's a great question, Lisa, because I have been told, um, let's see, the um, one of the ophthalmology meetings it wasn't, it might've been the ASCRS. They actually had greater attendance virtually than they would have had in person. Sure. I don't,
1: I don't doubt that because people have had a chance to, you know, stay wherever they are and fit it in, even if it's just for 30 minutes, right. Where you wouldn't have traveled if you only had a half a day and it was a long travel, you know, distance for it. Uh, The the other thing I love about your example here, and I think it's going to be unique to this kind of a, volume of attendance is that the, um, the ability to really integrate industry with the clinicians is really heightened. You, you know, we don't see that when we go to some of the mega conferences, you know, there's exhibitors, you're contained over here right and then the rest of the conference is going on around you um, but you're over here whereas you know you guys work real hard to be blended uh, with this particular course and I think that is one of the advantages of these smaller attended conferences where people are more integrated and that's a that's a definite plus.
0: You know as a small company and Metrovision is a small company the last in-person trade show we attended but it was even though it was the last in-person show COVID was looming over us so it was a socially distanced, I should say it wasn't even socially distanced, there was hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, <laughs> hugs hugs were not permitted because all these people knew each other really well and you were shaking hands by touching elbows. So that's the stage mm-hmm. we're at in early March with yeah. COVID in the United States, right? But again, a small meeting for a small company, mm-hmm. it gave us an outsized presence. We got some really good um, interaction there and some good leads. So. Small, medium sized companies, and we'll get to do you do you exhibit or not question. Yeah, might want to be thinking about where they go in this era. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Let's move into large conferences as an example. And and um, you had this great example from the ECR. So I'm going to move into the next slide and I'll let you um, talk us through this. So I can I can use the cursor if you just tell me where to be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So what we're looking at when pivoting to virtual events is that, you know, there've been so many different trade shows throughout the industry and none of them have quite looked the same. Obviously the 120 person trade show is going to look very different from the 15,000 person trade show that we see here with ECR 2020. Um, You know, this was from what we could see, from the outside, and also some feedback from some exhibitors as well. This was a well put together show. The site was very user friendly, and there were also a lot of educational and exhibiting opportunities. Um, you know, not only do we see names splashed up on the main page, we also have virtual clings, and we have a very easily navigatable exhibit hall. Um, The only downside is for those small to mid-sized companies, because there are so many expo halls and centers in an event this big that they could very easily get lost in the layers of of different floors. Yeah,
1: this one, really, we thought we were impressed by it because you do have... Uh, the association working really hard to emulate what would have been the in-person vibe if you walked into the conference center in Vienna to attend this program you know so you walk in and it's this general area where you see the different options available to you just as if you would walk into McCormick Place in Chicago and you know you got the coat check and you got the information counter and up this way to the exhibit hall and over to the elevators so you know it, it had you sort of orient yourself. And again, to our point just a second ago, um, it's such a massive trade show opportunity though, that the exhibit hall was definitely kind of contained in its own little realm. And so you had to want to go to the trade show. You know, again, if you've gone to any big, huge conferences, usually the um, exhibit hall dominates and there's so much I mean, it's, it's almost like it's up front and center and in your face. And so you can't get be beyond it um, with, to your meeting room unless you go through the exhibits. And in this case, it's definitely the exhibit halls contained. So you have to want to go to the exhibit hall and you have to know where to go within it. Because like Lauren was saying, some of the small exhibitors, um, you know, there's like almost you have to take the virtual escalator down seven layers to get to the cheap, booths that are 10 by 10 for the newcomers that's level seven so you gotta wanna go there because you gotta go through all these different layers to get there so there's a lot of clicks involved um, if you wouldn't mind going to the next slide i think this is one where it kind of blows up the emphasis on the trade show um, main page i think sure. that's the next slide
0: one thing i'm going to say is oh. for international listeners or any, all listeners i've been to the um, vienna congress center And so I can see this. And one thing I like about this is that um, the way they laid it out in in an image is that it actually makes me feel a bit comfortable. So as a potential exhibitor, my first reaction is sort of friendly because it's a nice exhibit area. It's a nice exhibit hall. Mm -hmm. And um, so my initial reaction is actually somewhat positive as opposed to looking at a cold website or something. Um, So that's interesting. Okay,
1: But you're right. That is a good point. You know, contrast that to the one you were just showing us where you didn't really feel as if you were, you know, physically walking into this environment. Um, You know, they did a good job on a reasonable budget and for a small attendance. And obviously you said it's normally in July and they made it virtual in August. So a quick turn and that was impressive too for that smaller meeting. but this one I think it's normally in April or May um, and they postponed it and then pushed it off a little bit again, and finally happened in mid-July, and so we were just commenting about how, you know, isn't it interesting that, you know, like you might see physically a big banner draped as you walk up into the hall, Um, you know, again, the column wraps, the escalator clings, and those sorts of things are are being accomplished in a virtual Mm -hmm. setting, so um, you do have those advertising opportunities if you're a huge sponsor, Um, and also as a huge sponsor, you've got this you know, kind of pick of the litter up the top where, you know, you you say, I want to go to the exhibit hall. Fine. Well, if you're not one of these, whatever, 20 um, key accounts or, um, you know, key uh, sponsors that you want to visit, you have to really know where your company is you're going to go looking for and how to get to them and how many clicks um, you know yes there's search features so that's nice it can take you more quickly there but obviously the more money you put into it as a sponsor the better visibility and the better traffic you're gonna get the hot spots all over this little rendering down at the bottom um, there's all these little places where you click on them and then you just jump right to the to the um, uh, sponsor
2: right and it's like what we were saying it's, it's not like a live show where you grab your glass of white wine and your canopy and you're just kind of walking around the exhibit hall and walking up to booths who you might have never heard that company name before but here you are and you have the opportunity to just happen upon them that's you mm-hmm. know nobody's going to happen upon your booth Maybe they'll have a glass of wine, who knows, but <laughs> they're not going to happen upon your booth in a virtual setting like this.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point because I wonder how much traffic is just generated. I mean, as marketers, we strive for that, right? We, we figure you got three to five seconds to capture someone's attention as they're walking by. You want to be co-located by the near, the big, huge sponsors so that you get that overflow traffic. I mean, all those kinds of elements in your planning and your strategy, they go away. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, but you know, that's it's a really frustrating thing is that um, I remember reading a study on a couple of the large medical exhibits um, or congresses and and they said that uh, doctors indicated they only spent like an average of one and a half to two hours on the exhibit floor over a three or four day um, congress. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the walk-by, um, uh, you know, the potential of walk-by leads and, and um, or I should say lead capture is Mm -hmm. fairly poor, unless you have a really good location, which small companies don't get, small and medium. Um, So you have to have other ways to do it, which which you're very familiar with. But for listeners, this image that I'm looking at has all the big sponsors and their buttons, and it's really easy for somebody to click on one of those buttons and go go right into an exhibit. Um, So should I click on the next slide? Yes, please. Go
2: ahead. Okay, so what you see here and in a question that we had and we discussed earlier was you know, are there companies that work with these medical societies to deduct the to excuse me, conduct the virtual events that are better than others? So in other words, you know, when you know a virtual meeting is going to be hosted by XYZ company, would you say, Oh, I know that's gonna be great, they do a good job. Yeah. And our my answer to this after doing some research is that I Have not seen one company be used, you know, across the board for these events. It is very much an RFP in case by case basis. I know, for example, RSNA has been in planning for months just trying to pick a vendor. Um, And obviously, they'll take their past experience and past society shows into consideration, but it really is just based on a very individual basis. So what I've done is I've Looked at the event manager blog and I've looked at the top 10 virtual event companies of 2020 Um, Inkspo was rated number one and you know just said, you know, these ones have all been rated based on Their features, their pricing and their support. So maybe if you see that one of your shows is going to be powered by one of these companies, you can rest easy knowing that they've made it in the top 10 Um, But also what we found is that some industry or not industry, excuse me, some associations such as ECR, they use their own virtual platform in-house. They did not go to a third party like Inkspo or GTR.
1: And so, yeah, the, I think the answer to that question, again, which we were trying to think through what might questions be that we would get asked, and that was one of them, um, you know, so I think this is such a hot space right now where everybody knows that, you know, virtual events is an area of growth, significant growth, crazy growth, that, um, you know, we're going to see a lot of uh, other diversity among the, the groups of, of, of companies that do offer those services, like your hop-in uh, isn't even listed here, but obviously they do a good job, and that's what they to do as well so um, you know I imagine as we see with most industry areas that you know there'll probably be a flurry of all these little disparate companies and then there'll be a, you know some consolidation but right now again based on industry rankings this is a resource to go to and I think in the resource section of this particular program we'll put a link to that as well as it's on the slide here
0: right right right
1: and so was uh, Lauren was this the ranking that they came up with? Uh, yes. least so
0: far, I mean, it's, obviously it's really early in this world of mm-hmm. virtual platforms and virtual shows, but in terms of the platforms, this is what they came up with at the moment.
2: That's mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. This is where we're at so far. I mean, there's a lot of lists and a lot of these names, they appear on multiple lists. Some lists have them in alphabetical order, but for example, I've seen Inkspo, Six Connect, Hex Affair on a number of top 10, top 14 virtual event platforms. Okay. And they're not they're not paid spots. So it's, it's based on society's experience working with these platforms. Right. And Lisa was saying also earlier that a lot of it, when you look at the quality of a virtual event and the platform that they use is dependent on the, the turnaround time that they give the virtual event vendor. So mm-hmm. if they only postpone their virtual event for a month, and they don't have the budget. They don't have the bandwidth to really pull together and create a seamless virtual platform that's going to reflect poorly mm-hmm. on the virtual vendor and the uh, you know the virtual industry partners. They're not going to have a great experience.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if if the if the association is is uh, not spending the money and or doesn't give them the time, a really good platform might look poor.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So it's sort of, uh, you know, go cautiously into it because you might think that it was the platform, you know, but it might have been society's doing or a combination of it just not working out effectively. But that same platform company like these listed here could be excellent in another society relationship.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. So I'll move on. Um, So here we have the next slide is optimizing your virtual trade show.
2: Yes. So, actually, if you want to go ahead and advance to the following slide, we talk about best practices for virtual exhibitors. Here we go. Great. So, we have a variety here. I'll just touch briefly on these. So, the first one, which I think is obvious whether you're doing a live event or a virtual event, that's to develop your show strategy and define success before you begin anything. Don't purchase any exhibiting and don't look at your sponsorship opportunities until you understand what exactly you're looking for and what a you know what success will be and what roi is going to be for this event the next one absolutely
0: i think that's so important and so many people in the past they've just been used to going to showing up
1: Mm -hmm, Uh, yeah
0: mm -hmm. that's that's great
1: i mean that should be pervasive no matter what your circumstance you know in person or virtual but you know it merits mentioning again on virtual
0: exactly
2: So, something that we were talking about earlier as well is that even though this event isn't live, you still, the event manager, the marketing manager, you know, sales manager, should create a a booth schedule so that we have our A-team assembled. And if somebody walks up to the booth from whatever country they're from and they click the chat button, they're not just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting for a response because they will leave your booth and then you could lose a potential lead.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's
2: something I think we're having
1: to really come to terms with. At ECR, when we were doing some of our um, just sort of, I don't know, sleuthing, uh, you know, there were some companies, some of the big ones that had, uh, they promoted something to the effect of, you know, we have 120 of our top staff ready to answer your question, you know, pick your category of question, pick your region, etc. cetera. And 120 people, I'm you know, and was envisioning are all at their computer around the world You know, ready to respond if that pops into them right away, which again is a a heavy drain on your resource and your staffing. But again, in a virtual environment. um, Hopefully it's manageable from a cost perspective, but you just got to be ready and plan for that. Got it. Okay.
2: Yes. Next is to be sure to test your technology ahead of time and under different circumstances you know, the last thing that you want right before your booth goes live is a technology malfunction that you're not prepared for. That could overshadow your entire message for your booth or your virtual exhibit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have people who are logging in from all over the world on different kinds of browsers on different kinds of devices. You need to make sure that ahead of time you've prepared for all of these different pathways and what could possibly go wrong with your technology. Uh, and next
0: well, and I think you need to have, uh, the people that are, manning the booth, so to speak, virtually, uh, they need to understand how to work virtually.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, we it's funny, in doing the physical trade shows, I mean, for decades, um, I, I went to originally and then started to teach how to work a trade show because you know it's not the same as me being a rep in the field going and calling on my accounts. you know i don't know who they are that's going to be walking up to me i don't know their status their decision authority their interest i don't know if they're a competitor you know loyal account or whatever so there's so much you don't know it translates here too i mean maybe you get a little bit more insight because you know the application itself makes known to you who these people are. They're identified more readily than, you know, them hiding their badge or their badge turned backwards or whatever on the show floor, right? I mean, you know, we know all the tricks. Um, So sometimes it's really hard and this is a little improved for that, but still something you have to be mindful of. Yeah, how to work the virtual trade show as a staffer.
0: Yep, okay. Sorry, go ahead, Lauren, I didn't mean to interrupt.
2: No, no, I love the back and forth in conversation. Uh, so the next one is, again, kind of a no brainer, whether it's virtual or it's a live event, but rather than counting on the association to promote your virtual booth and your presence, make sure that you're using a multi channel marketing strategy for various styles of respondents and consistency across all activities. Um, you know, people now can't physically walk up to your booth. So you need to make sure that you give them excellent directions to get there over multiple platforms, whether it be social media and eblast. Um, you know, column wraps virtually.
1: Yep. A lot of different things that you get a chance to do should all be considered for making sure that, again, especially if you're one of the smaller um, uh, industry sponsors um, and or exhibitors that you are leveraging those to make you know yourself be heard through the noise of everybody else.
0: There's lots of noise. Lots of noise, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, Next is to make sure that your booth is compelling and interactive so give serious consideration to replicating hands on with your technology and offering some sort of gamification application website. And this will support your physical booth as a kiosk down the road um, and it will also support your situation today with the sales rep and a one on one demo virtually as well and make sure that the story of your booth and the activities, and there are compelling for people to walk up and want to visit.
0: On this point, I I got a a question that I'd be curious what your response is. Um, In a couple of the industries that I'm familiar with, you have a lot of small and medium sized companies that are um, uh, marketing anywhere from, you know, uh, 10 to 100 products, you know, SKUs, Mm -hmm. and sometimes they'll go to a trade show, and they might have, let's say, 10 instruments out in their display, even a small 20-foot inline display, they'll they'll cram 10 instruments, 10 diagnostic instruments, or a bunch of surgical instruments. In a situation like this, where you're trying to make it compelling and interactive, and you're somewhat consigned by or restrained by virtuality in other words somebody can't walk up to your booth and see everything they're going to walk up to your booth and maybe have some buttons to push should a company in that situation roll the dice and decide what are the priority products that they really want to focus on or you know maybe they already know because it's 80 percent of their sales are you know 20 percent of the products should they just do that and really go after those um, those particular products since they can't necessarily throw everything on a couple tables.
2: Well, well, I, you know, I think it's tough when you have a full portfolio of offerings and especially if you're a solutions based company and you're wanting to bring the full bag to the table. So maybe it's something where, you know, you will highlight a very sought after imaging system. And then the accessories with that you have different pathways virtually to get to those and to dig into those separately on a microsite and find different ways to get there. Maybe it's not as direct, but I do think that you obviously need to think about still continuing to sell that full bag and that full solution, even if your space is minimized virtually. Okay. Yeah, And I was gonna say, you know, oftentimes a lot
1: of our clients to your point, I mean, if you're a small startup, you might have really one system. Um, and so it might not apply to them. But, um, you know, as, as they grow, as they become uh, larger, the mid-sized companies, certainly the largest companies, you know, you do have, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of SKUs. And so we always try to say, even though the product managers wouldn't like this, because, you know, they're vying for their own spot, you know, in the sun and, or their own place in a spotlight, whatever. Anyway, um, you know, the, the challenge is that you can't do all things well on that front. So the best thing you can do is to figure out what's hot and realize that that's going to pull through interest and leverage that hot product for the discussion to be started. And then, you know, work that particular discussion further, but you don't have to show all your hundred or thousand SKUs um, as long as you're effective at how to, you know, feature one and then use that to leverage and pull through to others. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I was going to say is that, um, you know, your example of the kind of the jewel case that we talk about, um, you know, I would, I would argue that if you can just see past the here and the now that there's a longevity for the investment in a real good application that you develop. So it could be that in my booth, there is a station and the station when I walk up to it virtually, you know, I move forward. um, You know, so it gets closer, almost like virtual reality, I walk up to a counter, I get to click on the counter I get to you know have a hand that looks like it's grabbing a product and while I can't physically have that tactile experience I get that but I at least can invest in the pan zoom rotate and kind of thing that I might do in person, you know, absent the feel, I at least can look at a close up of a feature and a function and, you know, then put it down and look at the next one in the jewel case. So again, an investment there has far reaching implications beyond just the here and now if you don't believe that the virtual trade shows is going to be here to stay, which again, you know, arguably may not necessarily be accurate.
0: Correct, correct. That's a good point because then you can link that to your website. Now you've got a more enhanced website. Sales
1: reps can have it, you know, in their, on their laptops when they're in the field, whatever. Yeah. Right. Okay.
2: So the next best practice is to host a live webinar to engage visitors. This is very similar to the in-booth theater uh, presentations. And this is to complement or in this case, replace certain posters and podium talks. This will just drive people to your booth at a specific time during the day and and make sure that they have something to show up for. Uh, Next is a no-brainer, again, live or virtual. I think it's a little bit easier on a virtual scale, but to, to qualify and identify leads and follow up on them swiftly. You know, some associations are giving leads live. As people walk up to your booth, you get all of their information or you get a report at the end of the day. So you're able to very quickly... And very easily follow up with those leads and make sure that they're not lost. Yeah,
1: and I think one of those things that's so unique about this environment is that um, unlike at a physical trade show where I take the lead on Monday afternoon and we're all still there till Wednesday morning, um, you know, I... I might have that same physician that I'm speaking with. Um, you know, he's at his desk right now. Um, he's watching this and we're all in our, you know, in our normal lives. And so what I might want to do is actually capitalize on the fact that he doesn't have to travel home. I don't have to travel home. I don't have to unpack and do all that. I can immediately engage him. I can follow right back up on that because he might be sitting there more receptive to it if I can act quickly, like within the next 12 to 24 hours on that opportunity. So Swiftly has a whole new meaning in the virtual in terms of a lead follow-up timeframe. Okay. Okay.
2: And then the last tip that we also got from from Jeannie were at Siemens was to be sure to schedule one on one meetings instead of relying on live chat interactions with your customers. I think that she found that those pre scheduled meetings yielded a much higher response rate than the live chat button that folks could push when they came to the virtual booth.
1: Yeah, and so that's a perfect lead in because I just wanted to do a shameless plug for part two of the series um, that we've are been talking about um, for next week when we will have the president of the HCEA. the Um, healthcare convention and exhibitors association Jeannie Wirt who's also um, leads uh, global events at Siemens Um, she'll be around to talk about her own personal experiences but also from the association side not just industry but association and then this whole uh, page too we think will have a different perspective if we talk or ask the question next week about best practices from a company that does create virtual exhibits so we're having mike ellery who's the chief uh, creative officer at sparks join us as well to talk about his uh, take on what are best practices and things he's seeing in the healthcare industry but the beauty of inviting mike in particular is that he also um, sits across all kinds of different industries and high tech and you know there's some best practices there outside of healthcare to maybe model after so that should be a real interesting one to catch
0: Absolutely. I wish I'd have said that at the outset, but because this is going to be uh, probably a three uh, video cast podcast series. And this is just the first one. So there's lots to do here, but this is a great start.
2: Right, and one other thing, I'm going to do one more shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, if you look at all of these, I actually Lisa and I recorded a webinar earlier this year called "The Art of Ho- uh, the Heart of the Art of Hosting Virtual Meetings." I can't even do my own plug right, <laughs> and really, it kind of delves into these best practices and has a more granular look at creating pre-show checklists, what you need to keep in mind during the show, and then post-show follow-up. So it kind of just is a little bit, it's a whole webinar dedicated to these best practices.
0: Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. So is it time for the next slide? Yep. Next slide. yep. Whoops. Uh, oh. Why isn't it going? Oh, that's why we in the pitfalls or did I go too far? Yes.
2: no, that was, no, that's, that's next. That's next
0: yep. Right. Very good. So now we're on a slide that's called pitfalls to avoid.
2: Yes, so we have three here that are kind of the big baddies that you need to look out for. The first one is to avoid complex platforms. These can bog down your customer's browser and make for suboptimal virtual booth experience. Again, if somebody is surfing the web, they're looking at your booth and they can't access anything, you know, things are glitching, they're not going to want to waste their time to figure out how your booth works. They're just going to go away and we don't know if they'll come back. Okay. And that then kind of does a nice uh, swan dive into our next point, which is to refrain from including long videos or high-res PDFs that take a long time to load in a virtual exhibit hall.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that's just a real quick uh, experience there is that during ECRs, we were thumbing through different exhibitors and trying to see how they varied in their approach, you know, from the big ones to the small ones. Um, You know, you could tell when someone wasn't mindful of the environment so well, and they did put really long videos, high res videos that were unnecessarily needed for the streaming uh, approach, right, for it uh, being uh, available via the web. Um, it's fine if you're going to watch it on the big screen in person, but not necessarily necessary to have that big of a file size. And so it would just choke, you know, spin and spin and spin. And so the information you wanted to get, you couldn't get because you didn't have time. And of course, in the virtual world, we are subject to everybody's variabilities, their own computer, their own um, internet service provider, you know, just all kinds of things that play into it. Being being questionable as to you know whether or not it'll play as you intended.
0: Very good point. Get something to them that gives them enough information to capture their interest and be able to capture their uh, information so that you can get back to them for a one-on-one later. Absolutely. Okay. Okay.
2: And and lastly, just because you can does not mean you should. So <laughs> <laughs> when you're looking at different virtual concepts, think about the complexity, the man hours, and the cost to do something. And you really need to measure these factors against the projected outcome to understand your ROI and determine if it's even worth it. Um, I think a lot of people really want to make a huge splash virtually because they feel like they're missing that live component. And I feel like it could be somebody's enemy because they're trying to pull too many things into play or they're trying to go too big when they don't otherwise have those resources.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, in this new realm, a a person who might have been a 10 by 10 booth could literally become a 30 by 40 booth in terms of its scope and and size in a virtual realm, you're not charged extra to make your 10 by 10 become a 20 by 30 or so, um, except for the fact that you're limited to your engagement sections, right? Your hotspots, your videos, like you saw with that hop in, the number of downloads that you can have, you're, you're measured by the bandwidth you use, and so you have to be mindful of that. So just because you could perhaps make this ginormous booth you know, think about the expense of that, and then how it's going to cost you more in in implementation.
0: Right, right, right. Well, I like that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> we can apply we can apply that to lots of things. <laughs> Words
1: <laughs> to live <life>. by.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
2: absolutely. <laughs>
0: okay. So next, yes. <clears throat> Typical costs, and um, uh, so, what do you you have one third of your original live trade show budget, or what What yes.
2: that mean so really, every single event they set their own pricing, which makes it hard to pinpoint a, a specific number for typical costs. patterns that we are seeing though are these larger shows will have tiered sponsorship pricing, and those typically start from about three to five thousand dollars and can max out anywhere from seventy five to you know roughly a hundred thousand, or as you see here almost two hundred thousand dollars
1: yeah u um, s would be even more right yeah.
2: So, so the rule of thumb that we've used so far for our clients, and if we want to keep roughly the same footprint or size in the virtual program, and it seems to work, is take one-third of your original budget that you had for a live program that includes, you know, honorarium, travel, uh, labor, set up and tear down, drayage, and that will cover, one-third of that will cover the cost of a virtual trade show. And okay. while this rule of thumb typically works, we have seen some virtual conferences like you see here with ESCRS and ASCO as well that have a significant price jump um, if you want to have any kind of virtual presence that's uh, substantial at their program. So price jumps like this where we're looking at um, you know 4,000 up to 35,000, or I saw another one that was 5,000 up to like $75,000, oh. um, these have the potential to really take out any small companies from the running to have any visibility at these programs.
0: Yeah, and something I would like to to say in terms of budgeting is uh, frequently in small to medium sized companies, the actual total cost of attending an exhibit is not really clear to upper management or the executives Mm -hmm. uh, because when they look at a spreadsheet that's presented to them on the trade show budget, all they see is the booth space and possibly the shipping and so on. They don't account for, because they're, because they're putting the travel, the per diems, the hotel and all that, they're putting that into a a different budget category frequently.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. So
0: I think they really need to consider that, um, consider the entire budget. Because so instead of being shocked by some of the, um, uh, virtual trade show prices that they might see, they really need to consider the entire budget as one thing um, when they're making a Apple. So it's apples to Apple comparison.
2: Right. And
0: then secondarily, if they're a small to medium sized company, uh, they have to decide, are we going to get buried in this virtual world, which is we, mm-hmm. we sort of pointed that out earlier yeah. in the conversation, because if you're just going to get buried and people can't even find you or see you, then Then that's difficult. So now, and the example that we have up here on the screen for people that are listening is the um, is a trade show that I that I love to go to. It's one of the best uh, ophthalmic shows in the in the world. It's called the ESCRS, and they had to go virtual. And it's typically got lots of small and medium sized companies exhibiting. And uh, what Lauren was just alluding to is the first level of exhibiting is called the bronze. For 4,400 euro, which is about these days of the dollar weakening, I don't know, might be $5,200 or something. Mm -hmm. But all you get is you have to choose from uh, two booth templates. And essentially it looks like a small picture of a booth. Um, You get to, in that booth, you can have two PDFs. That's it. Two PDFs that somebody can download if they come into that little, Uh, bronze small booth you can have um, one-to-one chat is available v cards and then of course you have your profile on the platform and on the website but that's for you know over Mm $5,000 the next level is silver for thirty four thousand six hundred and fifty euros that's almost forty or thirty eight thousand dollars so there's this huge gap in between And I already know that my colleague in France, uh, we're not going. We're not going to attend this meeting virtually because of this huge gap and um, this, you know, crazy cost. And even at that silver level, you get five uploadable PDFs and you get three uploadable videos. So to put that in perspective, if you had an in-face meeting and you had a 20-foot inline booth, you could have all the literature you wanted to hand out. Mm-hmm. You can have a video um, in the background. You could have all these things that you cannot have here. So, in, you know, we already made this decision that this is a bad deal. And I I think the, I think this organization, they, they are using, by the way, uh, I think the third or fourth rank platform that you had listed in the platform, oh, okay. Six Connects. But it's not really Six Connects' decision as to how right. they're going to price things. You know that's that, and I don't know who. Well,
1: it isn't. It isn't though, Ted. I mean, because their costs passed on to the society have to be recovered by yeah. our registrations and our you know sponsorship dollars. So the more expensive the platform does drive that to some degree. Oh, uh, It
0: could be. Well, I tell you, you know, I I really predict that they'll um, they'll regret this uh, program. Yeah. So well, you know, especially
1: what's the t- what's the typical attendance in person? this one this is a meeting where
0: you'd have 10,000 or maybe up to 15,000 between industry and between um, uh, delegates so probably 10 to 12,000 medical delegates and then the rest is industry
1: yeah so you know with a pretty big exhibit hall typically no doubt for that level of attendance so I imagine that yeah these smaller companies they're gonna be pushed out I mean cuz you'll you'll be buried um, it, among the other big sponsors who are ponying up these dollars. And right. that's, that's unfortunate, you know, when it's, it's only mm-hmm. the big companies can present.
2: Right. It's something else I'm noticing looking at this is that you have to pay at least what 200 and, 230, 000, I 230,000. I I can even over $200,000 to embed a link to use your own 3d booth. So that's, $200,000 doesn't even cover the cost of what what it would cost you to have your own separate three right. booth build out. Yeah. So that makes it, I mean, I can't even think really of a, a large company that I think that would look at this and think this is a, a great use of our funds. Cause I, you know, coming from a large medical device company, if I, when I, if I would have seen these in my old position, I would have gawked at these numbers.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. Right. to, to, feel like you're going to be gouged for 200000 just to play, yeah, and then your own you know, twenty, thirty, dollars 40000 exhibit house building your 3D rendering with all the hotspots and everything. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm curious to see how this all works out in the yeah. end. Okay, so should we move on?
1: Yeah, we're nearing the end here, I know. I know we're uh, taking a lot of time, but I think it's good oh, content. All right. this, is, this is good. Okay.
0: Whoops, I went the... I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> uh, hold on.
1: A couple more. I think we're back on track.
0: I know but it's hard when it is it worth it. So now we're talking about, and we've sort of we're segueing into this. You know, yeah. is it worth it? When we're talking about the pros and cons. So on the pro side, we have uh, four categories: cost savings, possible, uh, lead generation time savings, and broader audience. So let's, let's walk through those.
2: Right, so when we do look at our cost savings based off of our initial rule of thumb, you know, we'll be saving, if you wanna keep the same footprint that you would at the live program, you know, for most cases, roughly two third of your original budget that would be spent on lodging, airfare, meals, print production, shipping, and, and other things that come into play with those live programs.
0: Right. Okay.
2: Um, uh, Go ahead. Lead generation, as we were saying earlier, you know, I feel like it is easier to follow up with online uh, leads because the online registration forces people to add all of their information and all of the leads are automated. You don't have to, you know, wrangle folks in the booth and make sure that they're following up and, and, you know, taking scanning badges appropriately. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yep. The challenge. I I agree uh time savings this is um you know this can be taken both ways actually but we put it in the pros column because virtual attendance can be completed from home so you're not having to take that time to travel to a to a conference you know check into your hotel that takes a whole day out of your schedule and you can set your schedule with your colleagues at home so determine booth coverage um, while it might be time-consuming when we look at booth coverage um, on the front end and on the back end, it's it's far less time-consuming than a live program. Right. Um, and then finally, it's that broader audience is that I, virtual shows attract international attendees that were previously beyond some companies' reach.
0: No, I agree with that. And even some uh, national uh, attendees where Let's say in a a group practice, they may have in the past in face to face meetings agreed that um, You know, only one or two of the group get to go to the meeting and achieve the whole groups uh, of Objectives, you know, in terms of education and looking for maybe products or investments they need to make, but more people now could attend from that group.
1: All right. Exactly. I know this is hard because we're having to read the, the slides for you carving out just the audio portion of this, but our tendency is to just gloss over and, and talk about it, but we're wanting to be methodical about covering the content you can see potentially.
0: Yeah. Well, that's okay. If, if I mean, there's another podcast. What is it? Um, there's this one guy, every one of his podcasts is three hours long. Now, don't get scared, <laughs> listeners. We're not going three hours. We're almost, I don't know. We're, we're, almost, we're almost done. But uh, yeah. and it's one of the most popular podcasts in the world. So, so those are the pros. And uh, then we get to the cons. And if we look at those, I'll just list them real quickly. Uh, networking interaction, engagement, technology-dependent, and last minute pivot. Yeah, that's a big one. So let's just walk through those. Let's walk through the cons of, of a virtual exhibit. Okay.
2: So again, networking interaction, you lack the opportunities to engage with attendees organically. I know a huge uh, component of going to these live shows is to, um, continue to build those relationships with our existing customers and cultivate relationships with new customers. And it's hard to do that when you can't take them out to dinner or, you know, go to the bar and, you know, have a conversation. So that's, that's lost.
0: Yeah. Even, even just meeting them for a cup of coffee. That's, mm-hmm. um, you're right. That, that is lost. And the, when you run into people in the, in the hallway or in the aisle, and you have that chat, those things really add up and they have a lot of value, actually.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next is engagement. Um, you know, the online attendees are more easily distracted with multitasking, pressing work needs, emails and other interruptions just from everyday life because we're, we're at our homes and, you know, we do have distractions at home.
0: You know, that, and that's a great point because at this meeting that I just attended uh, yesterday and today, um, during the networking today, I I was matched up with this um, a lady, this executive of a biotech company, and she and I were chatting, and I, I was asking her what she thought. I asked a lot of the people what they thought of this virtual trade show experience, this small, I shouldn't say trade show, small symposium experience, and uh, everybody's impressed. But she did say that, well, you know, I really didn't attend much yesterday because I was on the phone with other meetings. I was doing this, I was doing that. If she'd had to go to an in-person meeting, she might've spent more time actually in the meeting. Mm -hmm. So here she had the ability to be distracted. So, okay, go ahead, engagement. So now we're onto the next one.
2: Yes, so online trade shows are 100% dependent on technology and they're vulnerable to connectivity issues or software complications. You know, the technology gods are not always in our favor. And I know I've experienced that more than once. So it it kind of adds a whole nother level of complication and honestly, um, things to to worry about as an event manager or marketing or sales manager.
0: It 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 would be a shame shame to have invested eight to $10,000 in something um, and then have your technology not working. Mm. Um, That would be awful. That'd be terrible you're right
2: okay excellent point all right and then something that lisa actually pointed out to me this morning was that last minute pivot is that depending on how together the association is you might not have a lot of time to promote your virtual attendance you know if they're switching from live to virtual in three weeks they're not going to have those long email blast campaigns or Or other options where you can really tell your audience and the attendees where you're going to be and you could get swallowed up in the virtual um, Event world.
1: I think a lot of people, a lot of the societies, you know, are still holding on as long as they can before they make a decision. And so, you know, try as they might. I mean, it's not necessarily their fault, but just that they're you know, they're, they've got a, a board and they might have, you know, diverse opinions about this and where things are heading and we're all in medical. So maybe they're like risk takers and thinking, Oh no, it's all going to be better by November. But so then they push it another month. And then before you know it, when they make that decision to go virtual, um, we're out of time, we're out of time to really do it justice. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's just the nature of what the environment is right now. I agree
0: with you. And the, um, the example we used of the ESCRS, which is the meeting where we were talking about the crazy costs, uh, here it is, um, the beginning of August, actually, where, well, six days into August, they just got this information out about uh, August 1st, and they were asking for commitments by August the 3rd to get some special points and stuff. That meeting is in mid-September, early to mid-September. So, it, That's not only really did, tight. Yeah, not only pivot um, from the standpoint of being able to uh, create pre-show engagement that might help drive people to your virtual, um, your virtual booth, but also the ability to put together your own plan to get a, if you need to have a, a vendor uh, contracted to create your in your own virtual booth. Let's say it's a meeting where you're allowed to bring your own virtual booth or a connection to it. You know that all that stuff takes time to work up and yeah you don't last minute pivot could be tough.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. So, so really where we have landed with this is it goes back to our best practices and that's Before you move forward with a virtual event determine your event objectives. If your objectives are to network and to cultivate relationships with your customers. A virtual platform is not the right thing, the right place to do that if your objective is to get measurable leads that you can follow up on, then perhaps a virtual event is the right platform for that.
0: Or you could even think about, well, if, if what you need are actionable leads, what other ways are there to do it besides Mm -hmm. a virtual event? Because for, you know, if, um, Let's say that go back to that ESCRS example where that silver, so the next level up, which still gave gave you very little in the way of privileges, was around thirty, um, almost forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand dollars would you could do um, ten, elite, easily ten or twelve, especially if you
1: bought in bulk. You could do a whole bunch of e blasts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: e blasts webinars, application development—there's a lot you could do with those dollars. Yeah. Absolutely, and and for that single event that might or might not be well attended, and, and the people engaged, and people find you, and all that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: For example, for example, if your reps, if you have, if your reps are good, uh, if you have a sales force or distributor force, and they really know their doctors and and or their healthcare professional. Uh, customers could be nurses whatever it might be if they really know these people you could put together a really nice uh, invitation only type of webinar um, and the reps could be out there pushing the attendance Uh, you might even be able to work with a a CME company and get um, I know it has to be arm's length but there's a way to do it where you could give people some type of continuing medical education in an arm's length way um, but that would still give your company some kind of credit and create a lot of value that would attract people. So I, I do think it requires really careful consideration.
1: Yeah, and it dovetails into what I will cover just here, and I'm going to look at my notes because we, we've we thought about and have experienced a number of different uh, types of alternative programs, so I want to make sure I don't miss one of these ideas as I share it. But <clears throat> to should your I, point. Should I move ahead then? Um, yeah, I think that, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if we have a slide necessarily on that.
0: Well, we do. Oh, yeah, to... I'm
1: sorry. We do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the the thing that I think is a key, like you oh, just no, said good, is.
0: Let me just interrupt you for, briefly. Sure. What we're talking about now is, and we've sort of been segueing into it in the last conversation on the last slide, but this slide for listeners is alternatives to virtual events. So let's keep going.
1: Right, so this presumes you have said, I'm not going to pay that exorbitant fee or my my uh, my medical conference isn't even offering a virtual attendance. It's, it's either not happening at all, it's just completely canceled. A lot of neuro ones are that way, for example, this fall, um, no alternatives at all. So um, now it's on you as the company. What am I going to do to replicate that kind of, you know, those objectives that I had heading into the fall and turning the corner into next year with leads and all. So, you know, one of the things you just mentioned is, um, you know, you can, do your own webinars, your own programs. Um, so maybe you don't have a place for your virtual booth within a medical society virtual conference. That doesn't mean you can't create your own virtual booth anyway. Um, that is something you promote on social media and email through your reps, um, You know whatever nurture campaigns you've got, whatever vehicles you've got to communicate it, build the thing that would have been your live booth and invite people to it outside of any other conference and um and you know let them engage with your product i mean it becomes kind of a cool web application and segment of your website that you could drive people to um so there's that Uh, the other thing is um to think about your own virtual meetings with specific groups that you want to target think about that being more of a dinner conference or a symposium where you know you invite specific people and they attend there's even a cool feature where you can um uh, it's called Eat and Engage. So Eat Engage, I think that's right, um, where you can get a, a group of people together, a business meeting for dinner, and you arrange for this Eat and Engage service to deliver a nice steak dinner to every one of your attendees. So they're eating a wonderful meal while you're holding a Zoom or GoToMeeting or whatever the platform is kind of session. So you're replicating that vibe of being together. And again, it was over the dinner hour. So that's kind of neat. Um, That's a great idea. It it really is. I mean, all these people are coming out of the woodworks thinking of these very clever things to make it seem as real as it was when we could meet face to face and in person. I'm a big fan of webinars. We've seen webinars just go through the roof. Uh, But the thing is, is that... You are competing you're competing with a lot of people who are doing the same darn thing there's a lot of webinar content out there so how do you stand apart from that to your point CME might be one draw um, that's pretty expensive and usually it does take some time and there's a lot of a lot of restrictions on you so you know maybe CME is possible for you down the road with a partner maybe as a big organization you can have this own you know HCP accredited division as long as it's you know doing all the right things. Um, But presuming you can't, you know, what else might you do that makes it unique um, to make sure that it's a hot topic? One of the things we like to suggest is that you maybe think about partnering with one or two other, let's just call them strategics, right? That they're synergistic content, they're synergistic products, they're not competitive. Um, It would all be used by the same type of physician and you all band together. So it becomes this sort of community event that has a much better chance of a big draw. Um, So that could be good, especially if you can uh, identify perhaps even an industry influencer, a thought leader, a KOL um, who could help to be like the program director. That could be really solid in a virtual setting. You know, yes, you're now one third of the program, but chances are you're going to get a much greater attendance and that has a lot of appeal. And then the other thing that we do talk about, like in our white paper, which is this little thumbnail you're seeing on this screen, this reinventing medical marketing, um, you know, other ways that you can engage people. You know, you think about, why did I go to a trade show in the first place? I wanted to introduce a new product. I wanted to get some hands-on with my product. I wanted to show expanded indications, my new clinical data. Um, I wanted to take leads um, and further, the, you know, the sales process along. So uh, one of the tools that we've been hearing about being, really prominent uh, prominent now is Proximy and Proximy is a way for very little investment on your part. It's just really an application and it just relies on having certain sort of technology on your side as well as the physician side in his office or her practice or whatever. Um, And you can do a sort of a physical uh, virtual hands-on with your product and interaction so so those are some really good ideas on ways that if you've chosen not to do the trade show route that you could achieve some of those uh, objectives that you had for what would have been at the show floor
0: absolutely those are those are great ideas and um, and I, I'm sure that it's just gonna you know even more ideas are gonna come up so that's mm-hmm. terrific and where do we go from here are we Budgets.
1: Yeah, you know, if, if I might suggest, um, maybe this just becomes a resource that we put at the bottom of the podcast. Um, I have a long narrative, you know, as a, as a marketing leader for not only our business, but a, a bunch of other client businesses. Um, We have a real strong opinion about how should you heading into the season, because for most of us, many of us, you know, we're planning already in September, our budgets for 2021. And we're starting that process for finance teams and putting it all on paper. Then you go through the reviews and the cuts and the whatevers, and the board has to approve it, all that fun stuff that we look forward to in the third and fourth quarter, um, But there's a lot of things, a lot of nuances to what you need to think about for 2021. So if you don't mind, I'll just put that on a document and we can post that in the resource center.
0: That'd be fine. Yeah, show notes in a resource center and um, that'd be terrific. And it could be even the subject of a totally different. I agree. As we
1: were... As we were thinking about that question and documenting what would be some of the points we want to make i was thinking man that could be its own at least 15 minute uh podcast in and of itself that's a good point sure sure sure
0: and then uh, oh yeah medical conferences the future model let's let's go over that for a minute at least some people need to be thinking about
2: Mm -hmm. right so as we look ahead into 2021 we need to have an understanding that a reversion to the norms of 2019 and before might not exist and so the new or the next normal we're looking at potentially hybrid meetings so some people attend in person and some attend remotely Um, uh, and then the other one is which we actually heard from a webinar um, earlier this year is a hub and spoke meeting and so really what that looks like is that people attend their local drivable metro area and sit socially distanced in a hotel still together, um, and they teleconference with other cities throughout the world. So each, it would be kind of like a bunch of small regional trade shows all coming together, you know, from their different locations to create a, you know, a mega or a national or an international show.
1: Yeah, we attended a webinar, um, actually, that plus a few conversations with um, some thought leaders some physicians that we know in different specialties. So this doesn't seem to be pigeonholed into just one anecdotal piece of information, but we're hearing it widespread. And uh, in talking with some of our exhibit partners that we've worked with, too, they're saying we're hearing that as well. So it's echoed across. So um, especially with the physician audience, well, let's just say clinician audience. So it's, you know, it's nurses as well. Um, They actually have said and are saying it's irresponsible of me to think about getting on a plane and traveling to a conference. I owe it to my local hospital practice health system to be healthy and remain local. And not have to, when I go away, risk being exposed to something, bring it back, be quarantined, um, be sick and infect others. It just, they're just saying it's irresponsible. So instead, they're all about, though, driving 100 miles, maybe 150, to attend a program in a metro area within their state or within their region that allows them to you know, again be isolated in their car, wear a mask when they get to the hotel, check into the hotel, keep a safe distance. You know, control their environment more than physically getting on a plane and traveling a distance, and then just you know daisy chain connecting these different uh, hot, uh, hotel conference rooms together for one big united conference. And so mm-hmm. I think that this is really going to be one of the prominent uh, ways that we see things, these things working in the future.
0: Yeah, and it's um, that's interesting. I agree with you, and at the same time, it's concerning, especially for smaller and medium sized companies that don't have the resources or the people in place to be at a number of different locations.
1: It's right. true, it's true. That's one of the things that, again, I, on my budget slide, I was going to talk about you know, making sure that you put more instead of you know, one big event you might attend and the big trade show that you want to update every year, think about really decentralizing that and making more 10 by 10 types of booths that could be regionally deployed. Now, that means you still need to have staff. Now, again, if if I'm the single marketing or salesperson, maybe I don't mind myself going to those different locations, setting up my booth and being present there. Um, so it's not like I have to have staff in all these metro areas where we're having a meeting. But you know, there's, there's that consideration that you're going to have to have some sort of presence there locally in order to be represented.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good point. I guess a lot of roll up banners will be sold.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, exactly.
0: <laughs> Although there's some really great uh, displays that are not very expensive um, that look a lot better than a roll up banner. So
2: that's, that's a, little, that's
0: a <laughs> bit of a joke. Um, yeah.
1: Um,
0: okay, so do we have anything uh, beyond this?
1: I don't think that i think that's the end of it yeah that,
0: that's it so i'll stop sharing the screen and by the way um if the viewers the people that have seen the video cast, if you like what you have seen in terms of this uh, powerpoint display the graphics and stuff this is pixel medical marketing group material this is just the way they work and not to um embarrass uh, Lisa at all, but this is just professionalism. If you just, I'm just scrolling through some of these slides. This is the kind of uh, result you get when you work with Bixel Medical Marketing Group. So just a little point there, and I'll, um, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you for that. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> Shameless plug. Uh, whoop, whoop. <laughs> notice. <laughs>
0: um, well, anyway, this has been really terrific. Yeah, it's been a bit long. Uh, but it was jam-packed with really great information, and you guys put a lot of work into this, and I appreciate it. And um, I'm really looking forward to next week when we're going to be preparing. Um, we'll be talking to, I guess, is Jennifer the, is she the president of the um, health Jeannie.
1: Yeah, Jeannie Wirt. She is the head, she's the president of HCEA, which, you know, is an organization that all the listeners should Be aware of. And in fact, I believe strongly in this that, uh, you know, your events leaders should be members of HCEA. There's great information from their peers, best practices. There's even what I always found in 20 years or more of being a member of HCEA. Um, an, an online event directory. So you want to know the details about any upcoming program. You can log in and you can see what's that event. When is it going to be held? How many people attend? What's the profile of them? There's a lot of rich information just at this directory for as a you know membership that's free. There's a member that's free.
0: And not only is Jeannie the president of the organization, but at Siemens, she heads up the part of the company that does all their exhibits.
1: She is the global events leader. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: So talk about somebody that's got
2: the chops. So <laughs> She's got a little going yeah. on.
1: And she, so she can bring all kinds of perspective, but in her role as president of HCA, she also is um, beholden to the other side, not just the industry side, but the other side, which is the association. So um, uh, HCA membership includes a vast number of medical conference uh, um, societies and associations. So, yeah.
0: Right. And then the, the gentleman
1: we'll have with us next week, is Mike uh, Ellery? Mike Ellery, right. And he's the chief creative officer for Sparks. Um, And Sparks is a hundred year old company that does events and experiential, uh, well, experiential events and exhibits. So he, he said that, you know, he'd be delighted to share, you know, as he's working within healthcare for clients, but outside of healthcare as well, you know, they've got Quite an incredible who's who among their client base. So they're always pushing the the envelope a little bit in terms of how much and what they do to engage and in the interactive. And now in the virtual world, they're applying some of those same learnings. So it'll be interesting, I think, for the audience to hear him say, you know, again within healthcare and outside of healthcare, what is he seeing as far as best practices for virtual virtual events? Excellent, excellent.
0: Okay. Well, we'll wrap this up, ladies. I again thank you very much for the effort, and I'm really looking for the next the next two down the pike because I think the third one, which we're trying to organize, we'd like to get some doctors in a right. row with us to talk about this and talk about their experiences and their advice, and get their feedback on where virtual events are going to go, trade shows, the future, and so on. So
1: yeah, agree. Okay. I think that's what we planned. And I do believe that I know from our perspective, every time you have a forum, and HCA put on one of these themselves um, for members, uh, which was, you know, grabbing a group of physicians that were multi-specialty and asking them questions from industry, just so we can get a the latest kind of you know, check up, what are they thinking? What are they doing? What are they seeing? Um, what's their perspective? Um, so it's invaluable from us for us as marketers, you know, in, in shaping what we're doing going forward. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, again, thanks a
0: lot. And we'll be in touch. We'll probably be meeting again tomorrow, at least a couple of us. So yep.
2: All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, Take care. Ted. Have Bye. a good appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.